You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Welcome to your quest story. We're your host. I'm Evan Jones. And I'm Paul Hobbs. I kept it together, so that's good. You're like, I have to start. I don't know how to start the podcast. <laughs> exactly. Paul never lets me talk. <laughs> I'm, yeah, right. <laughs> you never let me talk. We'll be in the middle of us. I'll be in the middle of a sentence. You're like, oh, and I'm getting I'm gonna get better. I'm, I need to start like writing notes when I listen to people because I don't listen intently and I'm working on it. I'm aware. I'm in the awareness stage, and I'm moving on to the learning stage. Well, that's good. And this is the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism. That's what you wanted me to say. No, I was going to say it. I was just waiting for you to get to that transition, and you never mm-hmm. made it. Never. Yeah, I, I you stumbled. You dropped the ball, and it kept on rolling. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, the shame. That's what I'm feeling, the shame. So uh, we just want to remind you guys to if subscribe and review and like our podcast. Wherever you listen, Spotify doesn't have a review system. But no. if you want to drop us a little review on Apple Podcasts or maybe Stitcher or Radio Public or wherever. Wherever. You can, leave a, you can even email us a review if you want. Yeah, yeah. We'll put it on us. our website. People love them. I love, we love when people tweet us a review. That's always nice. Yeah. Just uh, let us know how we're doing. Let us know what you think. Yeah. And if you hit the download on Spotify, that also helps helps us remember that downloads always help us because you can listen without downloading but downloads help us grow the podcast so that we can get more sponsors so that we can have more money to bring you more better content yes and also check us out on patreon we just dropped another behind the queens this time we covered our top three favorite entertainments current entertainments yes, yes. so things that we're currently either listening to watching reading that are Filling us with joy when we're not filling you with joy. <laughs> exactly. You fill us with joy more than anything. <laughs> but sometimes we need other things. We need a little pick-me-up. Um, and, yeah. Oh, and you should check out the website because Paul has continued to do more work. We moved our our store. We have a lot more products. Yes. Because moved- so, not new designs yet, but we have notebooks, pillows, magnets, stickers, buttons, Um T-shirts, tank tops, children's clothing, sweatshirts, everything. You can get a nice sweater for uh, winter if you want. A nice one that says sodomite. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We also have one with our faces on it. You know, we have a lot of different things. So you can go to yourqueerstory.com slash shop, or you can just go to yourqueerstory.com and click the little shop button, and that'll take you right there, and you can... Sort through all the stuff. We have phone cases. Did you see the more yeah, color, I, more pride? Yeah, I did see the Those more, more nice. color, more pride phone case. So yeah, so a lot, just a lot more products. Like Paul said, not a lot more designs yet, but a lot more products that are available for you. So you can show your pride for a little bit cheaper price. Yes, everything's cheap. And, and by the time this drops, it will not be on sale. But the items do go on sale, I believe, twice a month. Yeah. So yeah, so that and yeah, so a lot more sales running for you guys. So you just got to catch it. About every two we weeks, have check in. for like thirteen dollars when they go on sale now. Yeah, compared to like twenty two, I think we had to price them at before. So this is a great uh, discount and a great price for you guys. Yeah, so go check out the shop. Check out everything that Paul's done online. He's updated the search bar. He's added categories so that you can look up for people. Look up uh, topics that you want to uh, mm-hmm. listen to. Um, and like we said, we're working on our script database and turning it into a queer educational site. So. A lot it's going to be pretty good. Going to be pretty awesome. So what did you do this week? You said you had things that you wanted to tell me. Um, did I? Yeah, you were like, I have things I want to tell you, but I'm not going to tell you to the podcast because oh, you don't no, talk I... to me anymore unless it's the podcast. Well, that's the only way to keep things fresh. <laughs> um, 
So what did I do this week? I DJed at a little drag thing. It was a Newport Pride fundraiser. I didn't really have to do much. Mm-hmm. Um, each person only did two numbers, so I just had to click play six times. It wasn't like I DJed a whole event. Yeah. So it was a little bit easier. Um, I went and met my therapist for the first time. I yeah. sat down with her and talked about some things, which was a lot which was very helpful. Um, we didn't get too much into like the therapy part yet. It was more like getting to know each other, kind of setting the stage, seeing if we kind of yeah. like could communicate well, you know? So I think I'm going back again, actually today, the day the episode drops, and okay. I'm going to see her again. And then I think we'll actually kind of get more into the therapy. But it, yeah. so far, so good. I liked it a lot. It, I was having a lot of problems with anxiety. And even just meeting with her that first time, kind of talking to her and hearing her say, like, yeah, that was a lot. Like, I understand. And just having her tell me, like, everything was going to be okay was really helpful. Yeah. We haven't even gotten into the therapy yet, and I've already felt a lot better, so. It's just having a place to go where you know that you can, like, lay this stuff down and listen to someone and have someone validate what you're feeling. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh, okay, I didn't realize it was that bad. I thought it was, I thought I was just overreacting or, you know, just having somebody say, it's going to be okay. Let's get through this. And yeah. yeah Cause we're constant, nice. we're constantly gaslit into believing that our trauma and our abuse isn't as bad and we shouldn't, we should be okay and should just get over it. And what happened to me is so much worse. And we like, we see all the things that happen in the world and we think, Oh, I shouldn't let this bother me, but it does bother us and right. it does affect us. But yeah, that was nice. And yeah. what else did I do? Mm, I worked a lot. I worked from home on Friday with David. We worked on the couch next to each other. That was pretty nice. Cute. Um, yeah, that was really it. That was it? Mm-hmm. I was out of town doing my last merchandising job before I start my new job. So when this drops, I'll already have started my new job. Yay! I'm sure I'm loving it. I'm saving the world on LGBTQ issues by myself, clearly. So, mm. um, But I did my last. So I was out of town in a hotel all week. Living my best introvert life because... That, <laughs> honestly, when I went... To, sorry, I totally interjected in your story, but when I was at Dollar General and you know how they sent you on that training, yep. I literally sat in oh. my hotel room and it was... I was like, great. I don't have to interact with people. I did try because I was like, I know I should at least make the effort to like be like, do you guys want to do something? <laughs> so we, I went like up the road and I had dinner with somebody like one of the nights. But uh-huh. other than that, I was like, I'm in my hotel room. I... Of course, you didn't have your bottle of wine, but I had my bottle of wine and my single wine glass that yep. I bought from the liquor store. Yep. And I just sat in there and I watched TV and it was like, great. I Honestly, I the, that is the one thing I'm going to miss about that merchandising job because I, I was in my hotel by myself. I'd wake up, I'd work out at the gym, have my breakfast, go to work, put my earbuds in because we were working, we we're doing renovations on stores that aren't open. And I would just listen to books on audio all day. Not talk to anyone unless I needed something from them. Didn't go out to eat with anyone afterwards. Went back to my hotel. Reveled in it. (laughs) (laughs) See, that sounds... If I could do specifically that for... Like, if I did, like, a second part-time job or something, and I could just do that and, like, not be in a store with people, I'd probably do it. Because I honestly didn't mind, like, putting the store together. You know, it was, like, physical work. It was... But also, like, I don't know. There's something about it that was kind of soothing. Yeah. putting things together, so... That sounds nice. Well, it's nice, and it's like you, you're constantly finishing something. Like every time you do a planogram reset, you like you yeah, start it, looks, it you clean it up, done. you finish, and, and it then you start good. another. Yeah, and it, you don't have to – there's no customers coming up. You're not trying to run a register and help customer issues oh and take messages from your boss all while also trying to do this. And then have people come in, why isn't this done yet? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know, Sue. Maybe because I have one person in the fucking store. Exactly. And I have a line of four customers at any given time, and I can't get anything done because the pharmacy also fucking needs me. So you tell me why yeah, it's not done this with fucking my unrealistic. 130 hour budget. Yeah. So anyways, we're not bitter. Yes. But I, so I didn't have to worry about any of that. Um, and then, uh, then I came home and I had four days off. And so Samantha and I, excuse me, enjoyed our Valentine's day slash Samantha's birthday. We went bowling with some good friends of ours that we love and, um, and then just relaxed and worked on the podcast before getting ready for work so also happy a romantic spectrum awareness week we're right in the middle yep, of it it's official if you haven't listened to that episode yet go back and listen to it it was very um educational mm-hmm. and also um check out the script that we posted because it has a lot of links to the resources and the twitter accounts of the people we covered um so yeah check it out yeah 
So now before we get into our episode, we have one thing that we have to discuss. We gotta have a dad moment here. And so um, uh, I'm gonna try to sum this up as, as short as time as I can. I'm also gonna be writing a post about this and we're, we'll address this more later on. But in reviewing some of our past, um, our past episodes, specifically our first two or second and third episodes on conversion therapy, I went on this rant about how if you don't date trans people, you're transphobic. And I've made these very wide generalizations. And as I do in my rants, I did not take the time to explain myself. I just came off as very judgmental. And I think at the time I didn't even, I knew that I was upset, but I didn't even know why I was upset. So I couldn't articulate it properly. And so I made these, these wide, again, generalizations that I would never make today and I would explain further today. And so all I'm going to say about this, the, this there's an argument that's still there. And um, actually a couple, two things have happened recently that have, it's weird how things come together. You that's know how it happens, right? It's like, you're thinking about something and then like all this stuff happens. So two things happen. Number one, um, I watch a show 911 with my wife. Um, it's 911 long horn or something. I don't know. It's a new version of the 911 show. They have a black trans man on there. And um, the guy goes on a date with a girl. And then he tells her that he's trans. And she comes and she breaks up with him. She's like, I'm sorry. I thought I was more evolved. But I just can't get past that. I think you're a wonderful person. But I just can't date you. Um, there was that. And then there was also I went to see my mother. Um, a month ago, which is the first time in a couple of years. And I did write about this where I talked about how she said, you know, your entire identity is based on sex. Everything that you do is about sex. And I was very like, I was like, um, do not reduce my entire relationship with my wife to sex. We have a marriage. We have a life together. We own a home together. This is not just about sex. The trans people often get relegated to just sex. When people look at us, they think, can I have sex with you? How can I have sex with you? What is it going to mean if I have sex with you? How does that identify myself? And so many times we, many times we are reduced to nothing but sexual objects. And so when you're constantly reduced to nothing more than a sexual object, you cannot help but to be defensive when someone says, yeah, I date men, but I can't date you because you're not they start, they re, again, remind you, you're not man enough or you don't fit what I think I need. And it might be what you need. And so there's a couple of things. First of all, there's, you have to be careful when you're making this argument because you can't make the argument that someone should have sex with an individual to, make, to prove a point. That's degrading to both those people, right? Like if someone's like, I'm not racist, I'll fuck a black girl. Like that's degrading to that person to be like, I'm only going to fuck you because I'm trying to prove a point. You also should never have sex with a person. If uh, you should never perform a sexual act, that's going to be traumatic for you. Absolutely not. And you should never encourage or coerce your partner to perform a sexual act that they would not be comfortable with. That's absolutely wrong. And across the board, whatever it is, but to, Put trans people in a box that if you dated them, you first of all, you assume that you know what their genitalia is like. You assume that you know what they want to do with their genitalia. And you assume really that they're going to push or coerce you to do something that you don't want to do when you don't assume that of a cis person. You date a cis person, you don't assume that they're going to be into a kink or a fetish that you're not into, but there's a very high possibility that they could be, you know, you, you start dating a guy and you find out he's into puppy play, you know, like there's a possibility that somebody's going to be into something that you're not into. Um, not dating a man or a woman or a person is orientation, but not dating or specifically dating trans people is a fetish. You fetishize that person. If someone only dates trans people, that's a fetish. That's not an orientation. And consequently, if you say I'm attracted to this gender, but you won't date trans people, then that says that you don't see trans people in that gender. And that's just a reality. But I think that whenever we're arguing, we can get so angry and so upset that we hurt people and we make people feel that they have to make a choice that they're not comfortable with. So what I would say is just remain open. You know, I think the fear is that you're going to meet a trans person and fall in love with them. And then you're going to realize, 
or you assume that you might be expected to do something in the bedroom that you shouldn't. But there's communication in any relationship. You have to talk about what you're comfortable with. And I think it would be really sad to miss out on a wonderful relationship with a person just because you assume that you know what they're going to want. You assume that you're not going to be a fit. You assume that, you know, again, you're going to be expected to perform in a way that you're not comfortable with. Sex is so varied. It's so fluid. I've had so many sexual experiences that were not traditional sex. I've had incredibly intimate moments that were not traditional sex. I've had sexual experiences where I never put anything inside a person. I've had sexual persons where experiences where nothing I did would be considered traditional sex, but I don't think anybody could look at it and say that's not sexual. So that's my, that was what I was trying to say. And that's what I didn't articulate. And if what I said made a general uh, assumption that hurt someone, I am really sorry for that because I don't want to hurt people. And I definitely don't want to stir a pot that makes that further divides the LGBTQ community. You shouldn't be mean. Don't write someone off. Don't call them transphobic just because they make a statement, work on educating people, work on talking about what the fear is behind the issue. And so that's what I have to address. And because of that, like I said, I'm going to write a blog post. And then Paul and I have talked about in the very near future, within the next few months, we're going to be redoing our conversion therapy episodes. Yep. And there's like several reasons why we need to do it anyways, but that is a big reason mm-hmm. as well. There you go. Anything you want to add? Uh, nope. Evan <laughs> addressed everything. Um, and yeah, if you have any more concerns about anything we've said, anything I've said even, yeah. I know I, I've probably said offensive things. <laughs> on accident of course not intentionally but um let us know send us an email we'll address them and you know update we're always trying to learn and improve ourselves yeah absolutely yeah we're not about we want to grow we want to learn we appreciate when you point things out and you know we'll take it case by case anyways so now let's get to a lighter note we are talking about the incredible billy porter today That's which right. he is Every time he walks in somewhere, I'm always like, oh, shit, here we go. (laughs) Right? Billy is here. He just has such an energy and such an integrity and such an honesty and, like, boldness of his character. He's like, this is who I am, and you're going to love me for it. Yeah. And it's one of the most incredible energies I've ever seen from anybody. Oh, yeah. Like, just his owning, this is me. And you're going to love me. And it's intimidating to people. It's intimidating, but it's powerful. Yeah. So um, anyways, we're going to dive right in. Yeah. Though he's been in the industry for over 30 years, it's only in the last few that this incredible star had been getting the recognition he deserves. A conscious conscious choice made when Porter chose his authenticity over fame. A decision few would have had the tenacity to follow through on. Um, but today, his hard work, dedication, and unwavering moral stance have earned him the role of a lifetime. Starring as the enigmatic pray tell on the hit TV show Pose, Porter serves us ballroom culture realness as he as he emcees the night's challenges. But before we get to that, let's start back at Billy's childhood. And before we start, we do want to add a trigger warning as we will be t- discussing sexual abuse and trauma. Yes. Of a child. Yes, of a child. Born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on September 21st, 1969, Porter grew up, huh? I said he's 50? Yeah. (laughs) He's the same age as my mother. Hi, Mom. (laughs) Wow. You just constantly throw your mom's age out there. I'm telling, like, every five episodes, you just allude to it. She listens. I got to keep her in her place. Everyone knowing. (laughs) Jesus. All right. Porter grew up in East Liberty neighborhood of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. While Billy's father was abusive and eventually abandoned the family, his mother inspired him with her strength. Clorinda Porter had been disabled due to medical malpractice. Had she been white, it is most likely she would have been able to sue for compensation. However, as a young black woman in the 1940s when the incident happened, Clorinda instead lived the rest of her life with an undiagnosed neurological condition that caused her to walk with a gait. Still, she'd managed to support herself and her young son for several years. And when, um, her, when his father left, he actually spread lies that his mother was a witch. And that's why she had the gate oh. to her walk. Yeah. So she is a witch, but she has a gate because she's a witch and she wouldn't magically fix her gate. Like, I don't. Yeah. Like, what's the. How does that. Yeah. She's no, in no, a, no, no, no. Yeah, you don't get it. They're in a wheelchair, but it's because they're a witch. <laughs> like, you don't they understand. won't. They don't use their magic to help them. No. Whatever. 
But her disability limited her mobility and made life extremely difficult, and her blackness made government support limited and at times non-existent. In addition to her own limitations, Billy was also suspected of having a different type of disorder. This mental illness was more nefarious and drenched in fear and stigma. His energetic and flamboyant personality caused people to pause and wonder about the so his so-called inclinations. He tells of how he was often bullied and how a cousin threatened to kill him if he ever turned gay. Yeah. And when I said mental illness, I did put quotes in the script because mm -hmm. that's just how it was viewed. Yes. By age six, Billy was forced to undergo weekly evaluations by a psychologist who, to determine if there was something wrong with him. He describes in his op-ed with Out Magazine how he understood that his desires for other boys and his enjoyment of things feminine were something that his religious family frowned upon. Being very smart and quick to catch on, Billy was able to tailor his answers to eventually pass the evaluation. There was also a sincere desire to be good and to do good in the eyes of his family. A natural inclination of any child is to please those they love and to seek validation. Yeah, you got to keep the parents happy, the family happy, and it's uh, an unfortunate trauma that you have to sometimes <laughs> learn that that's never going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. Still, it was suggested that a man in Billy's life may help to toughen him up. So when Porter was seven, his mother became Clorinda Johnson, and the two moved in with Billy's new stepfather. Sadly, from ages 7 to 12, Billy was molested and sexually assaulted by his stepfather. Today, Porter is very open about his story and has since become an advocate for survivors of sexual abuse. But at the time, he felt alone, unable to find help and safety. He says of the time, At 7, at 12, I could look around and see all of the adults with no capacity to do anything to help me. I knew there's not an adult around me that knows what the fuck to do. I will do it myself. What stung the most was the way Billy was both praised and yet rejected by his house of faith. On the one hand, he was nicknamed Little Preacher Man and constantly told that one day he would fill a pulpit. His beautiful voice rang through the congregation and gospel hymns were the first songs he was allowed to listen to and sing. In fact, he wasn't allowed to listen to anything else until he got older and was able to buy his own records. And as, Just like you. Just like me. <laughs> and as a young boy, he did occasionally preach a sermon or two. It's an odd practice that some churches have where small children are brought up and allowed to preach. Most of the time, the children have no idea what they're even saying, but they get a taste of the glory heaped upon preacher boys in these environments. Oh my God, imagine you get to be the one leading the whole room of people. Of course you're going to be like, wow. Oh yeah. There was a, there's a big, I mean, there's a thousand of them, but there was like this kid like a couple years ago, he was four or five and they just have viral videos of him going around preaching and, and part of it's funny, but the part of it, that's like a regular culture. It's terrifying. It's how you build the next leader of the cult, right? Exactly. You give them all this power and they're like, all these people are listening to me because I said this. What else can I say to like control? What else can I say to make them cheer? And what else can I say? What else can I say? What else? It's just like, how do I continue to build and control people? Because I like that power. Exactly. You That's give it. how you raise a young cult leader. <laughs> That's how you raise a psychopath. Just saying. <laughs> That's it. Yet, on the other hand, he was constantly critiqued for being too feminine. And he, and he heard the traditional messages that gay people were going to hell. His personality made him both liked and scorned at the same time. Another observation of, of this odd dichotomy was made by journalist Justin Kirkland in his Esquire article on Porter. The church has a funny way of doing that with exuberant young men who also happen to be gay. The, page the pageantry and excitement left unchanneled could lead to unwanted questions. But if that radiance gets focused into a ministry, it's permissible. In other words, if you're going to be flamboyant, at least do it for the Lord. Right? Flamboyance for the Lord. <laughs> Next merch line. There you go. There we go. Flamboyant for the flamboyant Lord. for the Lord. Um, I mean, look at like. Let me write it down because that's actually a good you line. Literally I'm making this. Flamboyant for the Lord. Good. No, but it's true because like, look at all these gay priests. It's, you can't, you can't be that way unless you're a preacher. If you're a preacher, you can be as. You can as be as loud, as crazy. As loud la and, and wild and yeah. even feminine, but just enough. You got to have those masculine traits, but you, right. can, you can exude this energy that you're not allowed to exude. You're like a priest drag places. queen. Exactly. You are, but without the makeup. Yeah. And honestly, that's I think that's why a lot of people go into the ministry if they're queer, because they feel that they can express a side of themselves that's their family will accept. Right. Right. Because they get to be loud, flamboyant, they get to be crazy and obnoxious and yelling and all this stuff. 
but it's for the Lord. Exactly. So as long as you're not doing it in a ballroom somewhere, right. as long as you're not, as long as you're know, not, as long as you're on club. your knees for the Lord and not a dick, it's okay. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so afraid of being swallowed in the darkness at home, Billy found an out in the theater. By age 15, he was performing in the local Kennywood amusement park. His salary and the demands on the job allowed him to move into a hotel during the summer months. And during the school year, he left early in the morning, went straight to rehearsal after school, then arrived home late at night and locked himself in his room. He told his mother once of the abuse. She believed him, but she never left her son's abuser. Billy told her to stay. Not only did her disability limit her, but Clorinda and Billy's stepfather had since had a little girl together. I told her to stay, he said. I would save myself. What else were we going to do? And I mean, again, like... That's traumatic to be like, yeah, this is really bad, but if he leaves, we're going to have no money and you're going to be fucked because yeah. you can't work and that's going to be even worse. That's literally... I mean, it is, it's such a horrible thing, but it's true because he talks about how much they struggled before his stepfather came along. And like his mom... Like, again, she's a, she's a poor black woman. She just... She, She's viewed by everyone as the so-called welfare queen. She's mm-hmm. just mooching off the government. So Yep, and this is right before Reagan started doing shit to fuck it up. Yep, and exactly. And make it even worse. To make it worse than it already was. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and he talks about how much his stepfather loved his his daughter, mm-hmm. Billy's sister, and he was always jealous of that, but he also was happy for his sister. But this also speaks to how strong he's been, even from a young age. Exactly. Like, um, imagine being like, yeah, this man is physically and sexually abusing me. Who knows how often, but it's happening. And I want you to stay because what else are we going to do? Yeah. Like having that strength. Having that strength. Imagine the weight and the trauma of that, of having to choose your mother and your sister over your own security. Mm -hmm. You know? Uh, That's insane. Yeah. For the next two years, he, Billy, was able to avoid a stepfather for the most part. And things continued on as if the secret had never come out. Then one day he returned home past curfew and a fight broke out between Billy and his mother. When his abuser emerged from a room with a belt and began to whip Billy, Clorinda intervened and finally confronted her husband about his sexual assault. The stepfather lied, telling his wife that there was something off about Billy, just like everyone had always said. Porter was tired of trying to be good, in other words, straight, and he could no longer take the abuse and the trauma of living with his molester. So he moved out of the house at age 17 and never went back until his stepfather died of a heart attack three years later. That's not some fucking karma. Right? Yeah. Porter laid the story down in graphic detail in his op-ed. It's hard to read and shows the immense pain endured during this time period. He also speaks frankly of how survivors of sexual assault struggle to reconcile their beliefs that they led their abuser on or that they wanted the abuse to happen. Billy even called his assault an affair for many years. In the Syrian article, he articulated the feeling. Yeah, can you believe that shit? I called it an affair for 20 years before my therapist helped me change the language. Seven-year-old boys do not have affairs with 50-year-old men. It's called sexual abuse, plain and simple. And for those of you who like to conflate being gay with sexual abuse or have a weak mother figure or any of that nonsense, let's be clear. My mother is anything but weak, and I was molested because the predator already knew I was gay. So stop it. He continued on to tell of the last few moments at his dying stepfather's bedside and the intense emotions that followed for years. My mother asked, my mother begged me to be a Christian and go to a hospital to maybe have a reproachment. To maybe have a reproachment. I begrudgingly decided it was the right thing to do, so I went to visit him on my lunch break from school. I literally had not laid eyes on the man in over a year and some change. His demeanor was different. He seemed pensive, remorseful even. He told me that he was proud of me. He told me not to let anyone change who I am. Um, the fuck? I left the hospital dazed and confused yet hopeful. I guess, and less than 24 hours later, he was dead. God. Jesus. The words spill over into a poem of the rage and anger that so many survivors have felt. I don't have nightmares much anymore, really, but I'm haunted. Not a day goes by that I don't think about it. Every choice, every decision, every relationship, every fucking breath I take. Then he died. The motherfucker died before I had a chance for resolve. No closure, no healing. I hate him for that. I hate him for robbing me, my childhood, my innocence. He dumped his shit on me and then disappeared. Now it's my shit, our shit, and we have to live with it. 
decay, the sins of the father. The hate consumes me with a power that paralyzes. I'm better sometimes. I have really great days. I have really bad ones. Trying to sort things out. Pleasure turned to shame, turned to rage. I understand now how people lose their minds. I understand the addict who needs to fix because he just wants the pain to go away or to subside at the very least. And just when I think it's over, that pain, that fury, every time I feel like I've made progress, forgiving myself, forgiving him, forgiving the world, the universe, or whatever, the shit comes back, morphing into yet another terrifying monster coming for me bigger and stronger than the time before, laughing at me, just laughing. Oh, that's a really powerful... Yeah, and it... Set of words, poem, <laughs> it's and it's intense. And it, it, I think it it's so true of where like the waves of grief where you constantly, you feel better and you're okay and you're moving on and you're like, yes, see, I'm healed. And then something happens and it triggers you and it pulls you back. And then and you're you, in the cycle and you're like, are you ever going to fucking let me go? Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. Um, that kind of happened to me. I didn't have near, I had not, I did not have sexual abuse like Billy Porter, but childhood trauma um when my dad got out of jail he called me and that instantly just like triggered everything that i thought was completely gone yep. so i understand completely the feeling of just you know what the fuck i thought everything was fine where the fuck is this coming from yeah well i mean he writes these words over 30 years after it happened mm-hmm. 30 years later he writes these words and it's still that wave and that that's like there was a whole thing last uh, week about a priest, some asshat from Rhode Island saying, oh my um, God. where he said, you know, abortion kills people. Pedophilia never killed anyone. And he's trying to like pass off that the, the Catholic church is so moral because even though they have all these rampant pedophiles that they cover up, they, uh, you know, at least they don't support abortion. And it goes to show how people belittle the immense pain that happens to survivors of sexual assault. You never get over it. Mm-hmm. You never move on. You move forward, but you never, it never is it's gone. It's always going to be there. It is imprinted on you for the rest of your life. And when you do that to a child, Jesus fuck. It's as amazing that anyone survives. Yes. And uh, pedophilia has killed people because yeah. people have killed themselves. Exactly. That was the point that people are made. result of the assault on these children. But is that priest going to be removed from his position? No, he fucking He's won't. He's going to get a promotion. No, he won't. And people will sit in the pews and they'll continue to support him and they'll be like, well, I don't support that, but your money will. So, ugh, I cannot, but it's fine. I'm, uh, I'm okay. It's not about <laughs> so, me. Powerful prose that radiates with the anger and anguish one suffers when trauma is inflicted upon them, which the words were. And this could have been the end of Billy Porter's story. He could have resigned himself away from the public to sit in his wounds, and he would have had the right. Yet he pushed through and in his journey found a deeper understanding and appreciation of himself. No doubt, it contributed to his firm resolution to live in truth. In Porter's own words, he states, I'm just saying that I wish more young people could get to the space of I don't need your tolerance. I don't need your acceptance. What I demand is your respect for my humanity. Exactly. Don't come up here with your bullshit of, mm-hmm. uh, look, I mean, I love you. It's just, right. I love you, not the sin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> While it may not have seemed so at the time, the death of Billy's stepfather seems to have set him free. He had enrolled in Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh after graduating high school. Then, after earning his de- undergrad degree in fine arts, he went off for his master's at UCLA. While Porter recognizes that a college degree isn't necessary for success, he also points out how marginalizing people have to stack their resumes for bare minimum recognition. I didn't have the same kind of opportunities as my white counterparts who were famous 20 years before I got this opportunity because they were white. He explained in an interview with Metro Source. So I needed to back my shit up with real stuff. When I walk into a room with an undergraduate degree from Carnegie Mellon and a graduate degree from UCLA and two honorary bachelor's degrees, white people listen to me, period. You've got to know what the game is. Yeah, that's very true. So yeah. many people get so many marginalized people get passed up for opportunities for no fucking reason. Mm-hmm. Um so, for example, me at Dollar General, yeah, as a store manager, age twenty-two, I think I was when I had that store. Yeah, um, <laughs> I was dumb as fuck. No idea what I was doing as a manager. I had worked in retail and worked my way up from a cashier. So yeah, I knew how to do retail, but I didn't know how to fucking manage a team. Yeah. Meanwhile, I hired this um, incredible employee. Her name was Stacy May, and she was like older than forties, I think. I yeah. don't know. She had been in retail 
for like 20 years and I hired her as my fucking assistant manager as a, she was a black woman in her like 40s 50s yeah. why the fuck wasn't at her store yeah. I'm glad that I had that opportunity because it definitely advanced me in my life but why did why did I have to train her why was she my employee why did she not have her own store right I mean, again, she had, again. The, she had the qualifications. She later got her own store at, with a different company. But like, what the fuck? What the fuck was that? I look back at it now and I feel guilty because I didn't realize at the time what it was. Well, how, how many people do we do that? I mean, I don't I can't tell you the amount of people that worked for me that had no business working under me. You're right. I was in the same boat as you. I mean, I was a little older, but I was like 25 mm-hmm. and I had almost no retail experience whatsoever and I'm training people that have 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, mm-hmm. you add in the sexism, the racism, all of that and there was no reason. The ageism too on top the of The ageism, that. exactly. There was no reason why I should be the one training someone. I mean, every person that I trained was older than me and I don't think that if you're young that you can't be in a position but, you know, I'm training older people that are, you know, Latino and black yeah, and, and that, that Asian, been and, you know, star. exactly. So, uh, yeah, all the time you see that in mm-hmm. every industry. And, and he's right. You know how to play the game. So you have to go to school twice as long. You've got to take on all the extra debt so that you just so you can go in and be recognized on the same level as some asshat. Who went who's to four year basic degree from somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. With his schooling behind him, Billy hit the stage on Broadway in 1994, scoring a small role as a teen angel in the reboot of Grease. For the next 20 years, he consistently worked yet he consistently worked, yet gained little attention or acclaim for his performances, starring in numerous plays and a few movies, providing backup vocals, covering popular songs, even appearing on RuPaul in 1999. Then in 2005, his one-person autobiographical show, Ghetto Superstar, The Man That I Am, earned him a GLAAD Medal Award. Media Award. A GLAAD Media Award. And finally started to a slow shift in his acting career. His 2010 performance in the popular show Angels in America was a full circle moment for Billy Porter. 20 years earlier, the budding actor had sat in the seats of the Walter Kerr Theater. I think it's Walter Kerr Theater. Watching the new play in town. This one hit home as it addressed the AIDS crisis engulfing the nation at the time and the gay community struggling for survival. More, point, more poignantly, it spoke to deeper issues. Porter would tell the New York Times, When the curtain fell, I sat weeping in my seat. The house manager had to peel me out and escort me to the street. I was so moved because after watching the character of Belize, I realized I had never seen an image of myself reflected at me in any way, in any positive form, ever. Belize was a black gay man who was not the butt of a joke, or the reviled one, or the one to be pitied or killed. He was the voice of reason. He was the spiritual and moral compass guiding all the white folks to some sort of peace in the midst of the storm that was our plague. I thought, this is me, and nobody knows. That moment, Billy Porter decided to stop taking roles that degraded and mocked queer people and people of color. Six years passed, he told the Times. Clown game offers abounded, but when I demanded to be seen as a three-dimensional human being, the work dried up. The pigeonhole I had put myself into was so tight that I was shut out of even auditions for anything of substance. Eventually, Porter left Broadway, refusing to take part in the games and dehumanization. Until finally, over a decade later, Billy would return and play the role of Belize in the 20th anniversary production of Angels in America. That's pretty fucking powerful. Right? Then that crazy, this mm-hmm. character that... Dis- that- like defined him and made him take this stance. Yeah, he, I'm sure he poured everything into that role, that audition. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he was like so overly prepared that everybody else just looked a fool, like exactly. trying to audition. Right. Well, it's like he like he knew that was role. It's like when we in a few minutes we talk about Pose. Like there were roles where he was like, "This is it. This is what I've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. I've been telling you, you need to positively portray gay black men, gay flamboyant black men." Yep. And he and and instead of Instead of like taking, he had this opportunity, he could have taken other roles, but he's like, no, that's not who I am. I'm, this is who I am. This is what I believe in. And, and I'll wait until you catch up. Mm-hmm. I'll just sit here and yep. wait. And the world finally caught up. Mm-hmm. And that was just the beginning. Staying true to himself, Billy originated the role of Lola in the smashing hit Kinky Boots, which Paul and I saw together. Oh my God, it was so yep. good. I was when, before I transition and you had to help me walk in heels. The last time I probably wore heels. <laughs> it was awful. Kinky Boots but, was really good. Kinky Boots was great. It was fantastic. I didn't expect to like it as much because. Yeah, I was kind of like, this is kind of interesting, but also it sounds good. I don't know how I'm going to feel. Yeah. But it was, the show was great. Yeah, it was amazing. 
He knew this was his shot to introduce a new gay character to the world, and he understood the gravity of making sure the world did not mistake Lola as a straight man or a person ashamed of their identity. So he made the character as gay as he could, super gay to be exact, and laid out his reasons clearly. For me, having gone through all the things that I went through in life, choosing myself, choosing my sanity over my family, over my fame, choosing my authenticity, taking all the hits that had come with that to finally get my shot, to be starring in a Broadway show as a drag queen and say that that character is straight would be irresponsible of me. His patience and dedication to his identity and his community paid off. Porter would go on to win a Tony for his performance as Lola and later a Grammy for the musical's soundtrack. He also began to finally be seen for who he was by both Hollywood and Broadway and was inspired to follow a new dream which was to work for Ryan Murphy. When buzz of a new show about ballroom culture and queer people of color began to swirl, Billy went in for a reading. Originally auditioning for the part of a house mother on the unconventional and daring show Pose and was taken back when they told him he, was kind of, he wasn't the kind of person they had in mind for the role. Yet Billy Porter knew that this show was for him. This was a show about him and the many queer and gender-fluid black and brown people overlooked by society. Those who found a solace and comfort in the ballroom scene and a place where they could truly express themselves. Listen, I lived through this era. I think it would serve everybody if I was in the world because I'm from the world, he told casting directors before leaving the set. So they called him back to have a chat with one of the head producers himself, Ryan Murphy. Um... Imagine not having him on the show. Right? It, was, it it seems so weird now to like not have this character. But the character of Pray Tell was not supposed to be a uh, like evolved character at all. It was he just was someone in the background. There. Oh, exactly. You, you have to have Billy Porter in this. Exactly. He kind of like made the show. It, it, it did make the show. It's like what solidified mm-hmm. that ballroom culture. And it makes it real. How, Like he said, how can you not have him, someone who was there, who lived the actual experience, be in it? Yeah. I, I agreed. That would be in like 1972, <laughs> making a movie about Stonewall and being like, I'm sorry, Marsha, we just can't have you in it. <laughs> Isn't that kind of what we did, though, for like the next it, like... It is, <laughs> but I'm saying yeah. like, what? <laughs> exactly. Um, we're talking, we were talking before this about, oh, so we are going to do a episode on ballroom culture, but it probably won't be for a little bit. Um, but there's like a lot of talk right now mm-hmm. about how like there's this new challenge show that's about ballroom i believe it's a challenge show it could be like a regular one but it's about ballroom the problem is the people that they're putting in as coaches are white people or people that aren't a part of ballroom right like ballroom is a very specific it's for black and brown queer people who like understand like that participate and understand you can't just have fucking nancy up there right judging this shit nancy no, doesn't know what she's talking about so um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when and if it comes out because it's getting a lot of backlash right now. So Paul, Porter wholeheartedly supported Murphy's plan to uplift transgender women on the show. He saw the importance and significance of this bold step. So he countered with another argument. I said, that's an amazing idea, but they're going to need a father figure, Porter recalls. They're going to need a male energy over there, right? Like a godfather, and there wasn't one. There wasn't a male leading man in the show. There was a lead boy, but not a grown man. So he called me in for a meeting, and I just sat and talked to him. And so we talked about the the MC, and he had five lines in the first episode. And it was not a character. And so he said, come in, and I'll create something for you. So that's how it came about. And the rest is history. Pose has defied every standard and every law, creating a legacy that will last forever in television history. Janet Mock became the first trans woman of color hired to write for a TV series and the first to direct on a TV series. Her influence is directly responsible for the empowering of strong characters portrayed in the show. With season three set to air this year, the production has hired over 140 LGBTQ individuals and boasts the largest transgender roster on any show ever. But even more exciting is how incredibly exceptional the show is all around. From the sets and designs to the acting and music, everything on Pose screams success. It's almost as if it was a genius idea to allow queer people of color to portray their own culture. A concept that has taken 100 years of the film industry for directors and producers to finally catch on. Oh, so, oh my God. <laughs> They're like, wait a minute. White people shouldn't do this. But we do so well. Scarlett Johansson else. was assuring for that role until you came along. <laughs> right. It's like that thing that like 30 years ago, someone wanted to do a movie on Harriet Tubman, but they wanted Julia Roberts to play Harriet Tubman. And people were like, 
Julia Roberts can't play Harriet Tubman. They're like, oh, it was so long ago. Who's going to even know? <laughs> like, right? Who's know? She looks just like her. What do you mean? What? Where do you? What do you? I don't see difference. I don't see color. Right. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I'm colorblind. <laughs> just an asshole for. I only let white people do things, but it's okay because I'm colorblind. Right? I, I would let a black person do it if I thought they could properly if, portray the. If role. I thought they could act. But like you know, I just haven't found one that can do it right. <laughs> but it's not racist. No. 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 It's color blindness i i don't i wouldn't care if they were blue <laughs> exactly and as for his self-made role billy porter would go on to win an emmy in 2019 for his role as legendary mc preta becoming the first openly gay black man to ever do so and he has been nominated both years for an oscar meaning he is one letter away from the indu- from the industry's covered egot which is an emmy grammar oscar tony and what's really thrilling for everyone else is getting to regularly see Porter on the red carpets in all his glory in his incredible fashion. Amazing. Because every time he comes out, I'm like, holy shit. It's astounding mm-hmm. how fantastic he is. And I know that the tuxedo gown is the most famous and I will never get over it. But anything he does, like that hat, I love that hat mm-hmm. with the little like the <laughs> yeah. me- mechanical <laughs> beads. Oh. That's a big meme. Yeah. Oh, it's it like is. when I see my haters approach <laughs> and it's like. <laughs> exactly. Anytime something, yeah, the hat closes. But that ballroom, uh, I wish he had won the Oscar because that that ball gown, He, I wanted to see him walk up the stairs mm-hmm. in that ball gown. Oh, it was amazing. I would wear that ball gown. That's literally how much I loved it. Yep. So finally being appreciated for his flamboyance and grace, Billy has stolen the show each time he's graced an event, wowing audiences with fearless fashion that defies gender norms. From his golden wing ensembles at the Met Gala last year, to his red uterus suit, to his bold tuxedo ball gown, every step of the way he raises the standard in fashion. Yet he makes it clear that this isn't about drag, a common misconception thought among many people. I'm not a drag queen. I'm a man in a dress, he writes in a piece for Vogue. When I landed a role in Kinky Boots, the experience really grounded me in a way that was so unexpected. Putting on those heels made me feel the most masculine I ever felt in my life. It was empowering to let that part of myself free. My goal is to be a walking piece of political art every time I show up. To challenge expectations. What is masculinity? What does that mean? Women show up every day in pants, but the minute a man wears a dress the seas part, it happened to me at the Golden Globes when I wore a pink cape. And I was like, really? Y'all tripping. I stopped traffic. That Globes outfit changed everything for me. I had the courage to push the status quo. I believe men on the red carpet would love to play more the industry masquerades itself as inclusive but actors are afraid to play because if they show up as something outside of the status quo they might be received as feminine and as a result they won't get that masculine job that superhero job and that's the truth that's very very that true. is a truth right yeah mm-hmm. if you show up as, as in a dress you can't play batman anymore right, right. you can't play they'd be like sorry oh, that's just, just too edgy a really masculine man who showed up in like a tuck Exactly. You know, and showed a little muscle. That's Batman, and that's the only Batman. And that's what's perceived as masculine. Masculine, mm-hmm. like we keep talking about these these things of toxic masculinity, but whenever anything's perceived or portrayed as masculine, it's only in that toxic form. It's yep. never in this more light, feminine, um, you know, looser energy. It right. has to be this very toxic, Rigged, hard, no emotion, very yeah, just shell of a person. Exactly. Like so many before him, Porter found freedom in breaking the binaries of expression. As we've discussed many times, there are gender identity, gender expression, and sexual orientation, and often we can get caught up in the stereotypes of who should dress and act which way. Or we could buy into the lie that once a person expresses themselves one way, they can't go back and express themselves another way. Once an individual declares their orientation, that decryptor cannot evolve or change. In reality, queerness is all about change and evolving. Porter's own story reminds us that Billy Porter identifying as a gay man with a gender-fluid expression is exactly who Billy Porter is at the moment. His identity could have always been this way, and also his verbiage and identities could also evolve in the future. And I just put that in there, so I hope that's not too confusing. My point is like, you know, people will be like, well, Billy, do you uh, identify as non-binary? Or you do, I think there's power in both. I think there's power in identifying as a man who wears a dress, and there's power in identifying as a non-binary individual that doesn't go to either. Mm -hmm. And in the future, Billy Porter may change in the way that he identifies himself, or he may never. And that's fine. My point, like we get... We get stuck in these roles where mm-hmm. like, okay. It's part of the problem I have with people boxing themselves in too much 
Mm-hmm. Like I identify as a gay man and that's how I've always identified. But I feel like some people, especially at an early age, they go down this path of trying to lock themselves into a box of, you know, I'm biromantic, uh, lesbian, this, that, and the other, which is fine. If that's who you are, absolutely. But yeah. don't feel like that is how you have to express everything in your life. Like, yeah. you know, if a month from now you're like, I actually don't feel that way. You can evolve. You can change that. You don't have to just be how you're identifying and you don't have to build your entire life around that identity. Exactly. You can evolve and grow and learn and change. I've changed a lot. I've gotten a hell of a lot gayer. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just you have to free yourself to express yourself and not box yourself so into one identity and try to fit that identity. I keep everything fluid. That's mm-hmm. what I found. And really, when I came out as trans is when that really broke. Because when I left like the cult, then I went to like, I'm a lesbian, and I'm just going to keep right here writing this line. Mm-hmm. And I had this very specific idea. And when I came out as trans, it, it had to break the binaries for me. Because like, suddenly the way that I identified in my orientation, the suddenly like all these things like shattered. And so... Now, gender, sex, all that is very fluid for me. And it doesn't have to be for other people, but you're right. You have to let yourself grow and you have to let other people grow. or you. And then in the moment, you accept them where they're at. And right, you don't exactly. speculate on where they should be or how they should identify. Like, this is where they are in the moment. And like I said, like I think it's very powerful that Billy Porter identifies as a man in a dress because we can right. use some more men in dresses. Mm-hmm. In the queer world, and hopefully in every other world, we make space and embrace this bold defiance of binaries and standards, roles meant to keep folks in line and to deny their authenticity, a word that has come to define Billy Porter. Today, he continues to march through expectations and barriers on every side. Porter sets an example for any person willing to listen and observe. But the question is, will we allow ourselves to grow? Will we fight against the hate? Will we continue to uplift those brushed aside by society? Will we look at tragedy and rejection and stand resolute in truth? From a child pushed to join a faith that rejected him to man confident in who he is, Porter states his life purpose simply. Today, ministry is something different, he says. It's authenticity in the face of abject oppression and phobia. So your recommended resource is any of the following. Watching the show Pose, season one is available on Netflix. Listening to the soundtrack of Kinky Boots on Spotify after you finish listening to this episode. <laughs> so you got about 30 seconds left. Yep. Browsing Billy Porter's incredible red carpet looks online. Or you can read his op-ed in Out Magazine, though we do warn that it is very graphic and could be triggering. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to continue helping us produce content, then please head on over to our Patreon and join us for exclusive content such as our Behind the Queen episodes um, and also Evan's miniseries, Coffee with Evan. That's right. So check it out. Um, check out the website. Look at the scripts. Share your scripts with the scripts with people who yeah, every episode teaching. Every episode has, sorry, totally nope. hijacked your sentence. Every episode has a button at the bottom. You know, you can click it to tweet it. You can pin pictures. You can send the links to friends. Um but yeah, every episode, share it with your teachers. That's right, yeah. Give them a little, you know, send them the scripts. The scripts are all uh, PG or PG-13. Yeah, they're very I clean. I think they're, they're at the very least PG, maybe G. Like, I don't put anything in the script. Yeah. Uh, uh, our older scripts were like that when I would, like, try to write in our jokes. But our yeah. new ones are very clean, educational. So yeah, they're actually very great resources if you're in a history class or if you're in an English class and you want to try to spruce things up and get a little more queer education in your college or your high school or your middle school. I don't know where you're listening from. Yeah. Share them with your teachers. Share them with your uh, the staff. Yeah, that's right. Educate yourself. And go ahead. Stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love you, our little allied hookers. A little succulent saphis. Resist the oppressors, our proud homocrats. And have yourself a sodomy circus and wear your favorite ball gown to it. And be flamboyant for the Lord. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.